0: Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. A quick reminder that you know we do take sponsorship opportunities for IPv6 Buzz. So if you want to get on for packet pushers in the podcast and the shows, we'd be uh, we'd be delighted to have you on. Especially if you want to talk about IPv6 in in any detail around your product, that would be great. Um, and uh, with that, I'm Ed Horley, and you know got my co-host Tom Cuffe and Scott Hogue, and today we're going to be talking about IPv6. Uh, is sort of in a big picture basis with our guest Justine Vick uh, with uh, with Microsoft. So Justine, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks,. Ed. It's so, uh,
0: <laughs> it's great to have you on. and cool. and and uh, for everyone's context around this, justine has has known uh, uh, Scott and myself and tom for 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 quite a few years, and we've talked v six and been in the v six community for a long time. and And Justine's sort of known about talking about v six. Uh, in relation to Microsoft and and specifically sort of corporate IT Microsoft, and correct me if I got any of this wrong. And and you guys have gone through so many name changes in in regards to your internal orgs that I don't even bother to keep track anymore. I always used to just call it MSIT because that made sense to me because it's Microsoft IT. But but I think you guys have different names uh, for the orgs today. But maybe we could kick things off by sort of talking about the journey that Microsoft has gone through, why IPv6, what happened there, sort of what, what's what gone on internally, where you guys are at?
1: Sure. So one, one of the interesting things is I, as I thought about the podcast and I was thinking about how long I've been working with IPv6. And it's actually started around 1998, 1999, with Windows 95, Windows 98 um, having a separate stack. And I, we weren't really, the IT um, networking people weren't really involved in it. It was the server guys because they were doing trail tunneling over our IPv4 network. So we really weren't, you know, we hadn't really seen it yet. And we hadn't gotten involved in them wanting us to IPv6 enable the infrastructure. That's around the time they also connected to the six phone. So a lot of the researchers um, and, and test labs were doing work Um around that time. So I mean, we provided connectivity to the sixth phone, but other than that, the IT department just really wasn't involved. And it wasn't until around XP um, that things really took off. And I think like 2006, 2007 is when I started getting involved. So that's when, um, I think it was 2006 or seven when IPv6 became enabled by default. So this was like, you know, v6 was the thing at Microsoft. Um, right a lot of people were working on it. It was kind of a, a focus. Um, I, just to and, just just yeah. to line
0: that up, that was when the rewrite happened for the networking stack for Vista, yes. right. So that was yes. the transition Dave Thaler and crew yep. you decided the uh, time server. to Yep. Time to time to rewrite the networking stack and let's make that happen. So
1: yes, yes. And let's make it good and solid. So that's when they yeah con- combine B six and B4. It wasn't two separate stacks. Um, but it was around so we've been playing, and I, I want to say, too, you know, around 2007, 2008, we started enabling V6 in the network and working with the guys, um, and we would terminate the tornado tunnels on on Cisco gear. So there was some, like, in the core that could be V6, but, we you know, we still tunneled over V4 pockets um, and then got real serious about V6 in 2011 for IPV6 World Day. So we wanted to, um, on the IT side, um, participate in that, but also um, – uh, Microsoft.com, and again, Microsoft IT has been kept separate from Microsoft Hosting, Microsoft.com, and then of course Azure. Um, so, two different organizations. It's more the you know customer-facing side, the content side um, is separate than um, you know running the business. Right. So yeah, 2011 is when we started enabling IPv6. And it, um, an interesting thing I was thinking about is is addressing. And just all of the the churn that happened around, um, you know, should you use 127s on point-to-point links or should you use 126s, you know, keep everything at 64. For some reason, and I, I, I need to go back, I was looking back to my notes and I still don't know why we did this for, and not necessarily multi-access segments, but for segments where I have you know, two load load balancers running in primary backup or firewalls or, you know, where I need more than a few addresses, but not, you know, a a slash 64 is worth. We did 112s. And I remember, (laughs) do you remember that this this one, the slash 112 discussion came up? And I think it was also, I mean, this, this, you know, containers weren't around yet, but there was like multi, multi, you know, assigning addresses. And for some reason that came up. Uh, there was issues in 6,500s with how long an ACL, how many bits in the, an ACL would go. Um, so it was an interesting time, and we did some things based on conversations. And, um, you know, when you look back now, I mean, they, I think they solved the, you know, 127 issue with, and I, I can't even remember what the issue was. I think one of the things was that yeah. you gave. It's an yeah.
0: ASIC problem on 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 some sub- yeah. uh, manufacturers' equipment.
1: <laughs> yeah. so there were things that we did because it just v6 wasn't ready. Um, I remember having um, a lot of issues with uh, extension headers on fragments, where um, and the issue was that the vendors hadn't decided on like what order, if there needed to be an order, and if something, you know, it, where was the you know the router router option, where you know what was the order that the extension header should be in, so it would just punt it. You know, unfortunately, it didn't drop it. I mean, I did have to give Cisco that. A lot of times they don't just drop traffic, they just punt it to the CPU till the router can't forward packets. But um, so that was kind of you know the, the the whole journey through the hardware vendors not being ready and really what the addressing should look like and the disagreement on that. Um, and again, that long ago, I was still an IPv4 person. I couldn't let go of IPv4 as part of my the, the addressing and thinking about it. And I just couldn't fathom a 64 on a point-to-point link. Um And I've t- wholly changed my view since then.
2: Well, you were kind of halfway there, Justine, because, like, the, the, the choice of a 112, it's like, that's 65,000 addresses, right? Yes, yeah, you we know,
1: yeah, We were close. <laughs> uh, we, another interesting thing we did with addressing that we thought would be clever is we took a section of bits, and we called them... um Oh, what were they, the, um, like service bits. So we had like for our, our direct internet access networks for, you know, it could have been, and I'm forgetting what they were, function bits is what we mm-hmm. called them, um, with whatever the function was. And mm-hmm. what we were, had planned to do with this bit pattern, though, is we would have used discontinuous subnet masking to apply policy with it. Oh, I guess that's so a little difficult. View, it's yeah, a little but- difficult that you, you don't have subnet masks anymore, and it's prefix length. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the is again. Yes. So it was, again, you know, it's hard to, if you've only known before, it's hard to, when you're coming up with an ad- addressing strategy, to just really jump 100% into what the conversations were, and the conversations were differing, you know, people had different opinions.
0: Yeah. Well, let, let's 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 pause for half a second. because There's so much to unpack right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> starting with the the sort of the 112, because I think I think, and just to answer that question really quickly, in the early days, so we're for everyone on the podcast who's listening, this is these are really early days for V6. Um, talking about how to build point-to-point links, there were some, several RFCs that actually talked about uh, 112, 120, uh, 126, um, 127. Right. As as like, what was the right way to go about that? So that's really what sort of Justine's referring to. And and, and the selection criteria, there was not a hard and fast decision that was made back then. And in fact, it took quite a few years before, you know, sort of Jeff Doyle came out and put his foot down and said, like, look, assign 64s. Use a 127 if you if 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 it operationally just needs two addresses on either side. Otherwise just assign it a 64 (laughs) lane. Because if you need more than two, then just do a 64. And and it was sort of interesting to sort of, you know, that was early enough for Microsoft, right? That they they didn't have guidance like that. So you just had to make a decision. And that was the decision, I imagine, that you guys made, right? So uh, to, to figure out what needed to happen there. Because there was no guidance. You guys were blazing out of everyone else if it wasn't written in rfc you were just sort of trying to figure out what 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 made sense at that point i, mean, I would time.
2: add to that like for me it was a big hump to get over just even recognizing that that 64 bits is set aside as an interface identifier like it, i was yeah. already working with ipv6 for a while before that like totally sank in you know it's like because you don't really have that in ipv4 i mean you can you kind of have it with the host address but that it's not, not it's not the same thing it's not really you know conceptually or abstractly the same thing and so what it's like that's that's really a hump to get over because once you once you're like there's I'm just 64 bits for the interface id no matter what i do then you, it just pushes you away from like niggling over you know whether i'm going to use a a 64 or a 120 or a 112 or a 127 i don't know at least it did for me some of
3: the some of the rationale for organizations to use those longer prefix lengths was reducing the ability for an attacker to do a neighbor cache exhaustion attack, Hmm. ping all the addresses and they'll fill up with incomplete entries in the closest routers neighbor cache in the state table, you know, Hmm. and it would consume state in a network device with these incomplete entries for an attacker who wants to communicate with a bunch of addresses that don't exist. And it could fill up the device and cause you know, resource consumption attack, a DOS attack, something like that. But that was the initial idea. But then we now we have rate limiting. We have better control plane policing. We've got other techniques to limit uh, resource cash exhaustion or neighbor cash exhaustion attacks.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's, so I think Microsoft had to go through a lot of the early journey part, and I think that's to you know to Justine's point is is when you're when you're early in the process, you're you're blazing the trail early, and and sometimes your your design reflects early decisions that the industry has moved on from, and then you have to try and reconcile that. Um, so maybe there's some advantages of being a late adopter. I don't know. <laughs> I
1: think yep. there is. Ed, the one interesting thing, though, is what, what I found so exciting about this, about the IPv6. And, and at first, I was a little resentful. I, I didn't want to do um, v6 addressing. I had enough issues I was dealing with at the time with multicast. But the, the thing that I think was amazing, and I struggled a little bit with the ambiguity of doing something for the first time without a lot of you know direction or past ex- experience to, to fall back on um, is that it, it kind of made me feel like when they were doing it before and they were you know, figuring it out and they ha- it, it was classful and then it was, you know, classless and they added cider and they added ARP and they just, um, so being a part of, a, of of the journey of of building the, the what I'm going to call is the next generation internet, you know, enabling, I mean, we were doing this stuff in 98, 99 before IoT, industrial Wi-Fi and, and just this whole boom um, we we hadn't even really thought about, or I hadn't thought about. I hadn't thought about the security cameras and all that stuff going on this. Um, so being you know early in and understanding what people are thinking and how they think through stuff um, to 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 get to the right um, or whatever is the right thing, but to get to a you know a solid design, to get to a solid addressing plan was um, was kind of exciting.
3: Yeah, because yeah, back then we didn't even know much about why Wi Fi. I mean, even in those days, Wi-Fi, was, yeah. we didn't know the ex- explosion of 3G and 4G. And I mean, we were early days back then.
1: Well, and that's the one thing with Wi-Fi is that um, I believe it was Microsoft, don't quote me here, that came up with the two fifty four address, a link local for IPv4, because yeah. you'd end up talking to the controller. And everything was L2 and you hadn't gotten your Layer 3 stuff yet, but you needed to talk to the controller on something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where, I think the 169-254 kind of came out of the, the Wi-Fi. I don't have all the information on this. I'm sure probably um, Ed knows this. He knows all this stuff.
0: No, no, I don't know the the background for a PIPA. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know it exists, but uh, but I don't remember who wrote uh, any of the original RFCs or anything of that nature. So I
1: thought yeah. I heard Microsoft, it. I'll look it up. I'm gonna I'm take credit on behalf of Microsoft for now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, but anyway, that was. You know, that was an interesting thing, and, you know, as we think about this when I when we're bringing up interfaces another side thing is when we started addressing B six and and again working with the, the the carriers and this was. This was also the time that um, MPLS started becoming a big deal so running MPLS with a carrier and doing virtualization across their network. Um, so they kind of also were dictating. You know, if it was going to be, if they wanted, if they were doing 126s, you did 126s. So it kind of became, what is the most common that everybody seems to be doing? And that's what we're going to do so we don't have a mix. Um, but another piece that I wanted to bring up is um, that I, this was an interesting, and this is kind of a sidebar, is with point-to-point links with IPv6, when we tested with carriers and they would loot the circuit, um, and duplicate address detection would kick in. And then mm-hmm. IPv6 would just hang. It would go into tentative and because it detected a duplicate address. And it wouldn't and initially the vendors wouldn't, you know, automatically reset that, but that's not something you'd ever run into with before.
3: Right. Because the interface comes up, it does duplicate yes. address detection, sends out yes. a neighbor solicitation for itself yes. using the solicited node multicast address. It hears that and is like, oh wait, yes. it sees its own shadow and then shuts down. Yes.
1: Yeah, which is what you do with loopback. You know, loopback they they loop it as close as they can. So that's part of mm-hmm. testing with the circuit. Um, so and I, you know, again, I'm dating myself on you know circuits, and I don't know how much of this um, they're doing over Ethernet, but yeah, well, uh, that's you know, a- these kind of things were interesting. DAD didn't need to be something you want to have on a point-to-point link. So figuring yeah, out dad- you're off and on.
3: Yeah, there's dad attacks. They're fun to play on your boss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and that's the other interesting part is that Microsoft actually participated at both. So there was two factions that you were involved in, Justine. It was, it was running Microsoft's actual corporate IT network and, and v6 adoption around that. So you're you know involved with that as a project. But also Microsoft produces an operating system. And so there was a the whole aspect of what Microsoft was actually building within the OS. And your team had to Deal with <laughs> right with that, with yeah. sort of dealing with like what's what the heck is is that team doing? What are they building in as features? And you know, you know, optimistic dad is one of them, right? It doesn't quite do what. It's a slight variation on well, of you know, mm-hmm. sort of you know. I think the team looked at the numbers and said like the likelihood that we're going to have a collision for a duplicate address when you're using Slack or or DHCPv6 is so. Infinitesimally small. Why are we waiting to do a a, you know some sort of duplicate address detection? We should just start using the address immediately Mm -hmm. uh, to to get traffic out on the network, and then we'll we'll check. We will definitely do the check, but we are not going to hold up the process in order for that check to actually happen.
3: Right, and because of the security weaknesses I talked about in neighbor discovery protocol, many commercial or almost all commercial enterprise grade firewalls actually disable, they have DAD disabled on interfaces by default. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: I yeah, wasn't aware that, that's good. This is, you know, this is the other thing, Scott, with IPv6 is, you know, um, before even, um, you know, a lot of the engineers and definitely the users knew, you know, Windows rolled you know, the next version rolled out, we rolled out the next version of the operating system. And, and what you're talking about, um, Ed, they called eating your own dog food. And I don't know where that came from. I honestly don't know where dog food, it could have been anything, any term, it could have been cat food. I don't know. But um, where we had to sip to your touch. own champagne. <laughs> Yeah, so We couldn't have been something nice like that. So we're running v6 before even really the security people or the users knew. I mean, mm-hmm. one day they got, you know, they got the next version. They went from, you know, XP to Vista and they're running v6 by default and v6 is on their machine and they don't even know. And they're not really getting assigned a 6 address yet, mm-hmm. um, potentially, or they are. And all, there's this, it just happened to them. Um, so, and this was way before security was ready. So we had security, <laughs> security hooks in for V4, but nothing for V6. So people were thrilled that they got around the V4 security.
0: <laughs> well, especially because especially you guys had link local multicast name resolution. So if it was on the yes. same L2 net, it just discovered each other. Suddenly all sorts of things. I'm sure all sorts of magic printing started working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, the whole SSDP thing, um, you know, a lot of things came up and it was just interesting to watch. You know how what, what happened with v6 before v6 was really even something that we were supporting
3: right see that's interesting at, at microsoft you know a very innovative forward-thinking company has the network team that's knowledgeable about a protocol charges ahead security teams aren't ready but microsoft didn't let the security teams put the brakes on ipv6 in certain large enterprises or federal government departments the security teams been able to put the brakes on v6 project saying oh we're not ready so don't do it at all microsoft kind of charged ahead and then fixed it and secured it as they went you know just being more aggressive and i guess that's the the way you kind of have to be sometimes when you're an early adopter
1: well especially when you're writing an operating system Mm -hmm. i mean i think it was interesting during um, and, and you did. You mentioned Dave Thaler, who who was just awesome guy and really solid understanding of B six and participating in a lot Absolutely. of what the, yeah. um, the the debate between um, Google and Microsoft on um, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember Google's operating system.
0: Um, oh, on Android. Android and
1: yeah. yeah, which is just yeah. mobile. Not, you're not going to see Android in the data center, but um, it's you know GHCP B six versus. Um, um dynamic, or what was it?
3: Was yeah, it for Slack, Slack and RDNSS.
1: Yes. RDNSS, yes, that they, you know, their idea is no servers anywhere. And, you know, of course, Microsoft is a security company. Um, so still having a DHCP, having something that gives up, you know, that's that's providing options to the host instead mm-hmm. of relying on, I mean, this was a big shift, is that now instead of a server that's giving you your parameters, your host parameters, um it's your first operator. router that's set in your lifetime and your you know gateway and so that that was that's a kind of a big shift that I'm moving that away from and so now we're gonna rely on the router vendor to support DNSS. We're gonna rely on the router vendor any any new option or anything that we would have added to DHCP, we're gonna to have to rely on the router vendor to put that in their code.
2: Well in many organizations it's like a different team. Right. Yes yeah.
1: exactly one of the big challenges I think that was one of the questions that that Scott asked one of the big challenges was the server team versus the you know the team that supports the client OS, and it's different. It Who's doing the server OS, client OS, the server OS and the data center client OS and the network engineers. And then a whole other group is the developers. Um, <laughs> which has been a huge challenge because there's some young developers and, and especially the ones I'm seeing now, they've only ever known IP before. They've never heard multi-protocol. They've never, it's like Apple talk, IPX, what are you talking about? I mean, they just, <laughs> There is only one, there should only be one, and um, uh, it's hard for them to even consider IPv6.
0: Right. Yeah, or running. Or, yeah, having yeah. to deal with two and being like, "Why wow, you just made my life twice as, twice as complex to try and work through this? You you made my my logic, you know, that much more that's much more difficult to work through." And you're like, "No, we have tried to abstract all that away. Hopefully, you don't have to deal with it, right? You got the right libraries and everything. You can, you don't have to worry about it. But it's still it still crops up, right? <laughs>
1: oh, it does. But I and I think the thing that V6 um, the, the other thing I've seen with developers is V6 is is bringing back good development practices, like making generic calls instead of direct calls. So an example of this: we had devs that do that test a local host, so they're testing, mm-hmm. you know, a web mm-hmm. app or something, and they just want to test on a local machine. And there was devs that did, you know, star dollar or, or did a um, star colon eighty local host, you know, to make a call. And then there was other ones that put 127.0.0.1. So when we made this change and v6 was preferred, they had no correlation to, you know, 1.1, things would break. Right. And it, it just brings about, I mean, that's just another example. And yes, it's, it's local host. I can kind of see on a local machine that you can, you you know, that's a well-known address. It's not like, you know, configuring um, an address into an application, you know, like a public right. or a mobile address. But still it's, you know, thinking in terms of I shouldn't care you know, what's happening at the IP layer. You know, I right. care somewhat about port, which ports I'm opening and stuff, but what's happening at the IP layer, what kind of addressing? I don't care whether it's V6, V4, IPX. I shouldn't care about any of that from an application standpoint. Yeah, uh, that's the brittle... ...cleaning up some stuff.
0: Yeah, that's the brittleness in their code in terms of saying like, hey, we've we've, we've you've hooked something in there that's going to make your code brittle later down the road as things change, might shift underneath you in terms of the protocols, right? So... Yes. Yeah. No, that's, that's super interesting because, you know, part of what's great about talking to you about all of this is that you have over, over a long arc, have a lot of insight around sort of the motivations and and learnings. Cause that's, for me, that's, that's the hard part for many enterprise organizations today that we work with. They have nothing to, to really, um, they have nothing to compare it to. So it's very difficult for them to be like, okay, we've got to adopt this stuff we don't know enough information. We don't know enough. We can't make good architecture decisions. And so they're really relying on us to help fill in those gaps because, you know, sort of been there and done that. And for yourself, Microsoft has that huge advantage of, of sort of having that history and and and. And, and knowledge base to sort of work off of of learnings and takeaways around this. And I think you mentioned that at the top of the show it's sort of like, hey, some of some of my opinions have changed, Your some of your opinions have changed over time about, you know, how you sort of feel about it. And, and you know, that's it, maybe that's one of the things we can sort of chat through really quickly because it's I think that's important for people to realize that, you know, early on, I mean, I was, you know, I'm right there with Justine, right? Hardcore V6, V6 is the only way to go. Why are you even talking about V4 anymore? And I think, you know, I, th- I, th- I think many people have, have have realized that that's not an easy discussion to have, and it's not a it's not a beneficial way to sort of look at things going forward, right?
1: I, 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 absolutely, and I am now, and I, I'd love to have this conversation with you guys because I do not like IPv6 only with NAT64. I, I, I don't like that. Um, definitely. You know, the management of companies, when they when they hear IPv6 only, they think IPv6 only. It's like, no, you need to run a dns 64 server. You need to run um, a NAT64 box. And this isn't just doing address translation because the two protocols are different. And you're going to, anything through that box, unless the ALGs keep up with the, with the NAT64 box, any innovation that happens on v 6 is going to be blocked there. So this is, so I'm, I'm kind of leaning back towards, and it's because I'm old. And I, I I ran networks with, you know, um, SNA and Apple Talk and IPX and all of them, um, you know, I went from one to the other. So two to me versus five is be- much better. Um, <laughs> the thing is, is that we, you know, the reason everybody, there was a big reason to get off of Apple Talk and IPX and all those protocols. And that was because people wanted to get on the internet. So now the thing is, and there there is going to need to be a big reason to, for a company, definitely the enterprise, the big reason I, IOT did it is because they had to. They want Again, th- th- these devices that were never on the internet before want to get on the internet. And I've got a lot of them. So, you know, you look at the two protocols and IPv6 is the way to go. There's a good business decision. You can totally justify it. Uh, this is the thing that is going to ha- have to happen to do a lot of the rewrite work um and code work. And again, it's it's this is old legacy stuff that people have maybe embedded a lot of you know IPv4 addresses and there's effort to doing that. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I'm I'm still kind of multi-protocol. I, I don't think it's as bad as NAT64 is um, in, in the medium term. And I and I do believe that just naturally IPv6 there's gonna be things in IPv6 is going to be something that's gonna do something somebody's gonna do something incredible with flow labels. We're already doing embedded metadata in the address. Um, that kind of stuff is going to be. I, I want to do those things. I'd never be able to do it with V four, and that's going to cause the shift.
3: I guess you know one key advantage of V six is NAT avoidance. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, getting away from NAT. You know, but then also you you mentioned things like. Segment routing or what are the innovative things we can do with V6? What are things we can do with addresses very creatively that we've been limited by V4 and we haven't even thought of because our minds haven't thought about what can I do with all these bits? What can I do with all this cool stuff in the interface identifier? Not not send (laughs) <laughs> Not <Right>. CGA. <CGA-ing>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did a, we we did a podcast podcast sixty four on like all the ghosts of IPv six the things all of us long time v six proponents of coming seen come and gone you know went for good reason but you know what can we do with the IID there's so much potential there
1: yes well this the whole thing is remember all that work that was going on with Lisp and location ID separation mm-hmm. there was this big push I, I think the implementation of it though with having a separate box that you have to go. To you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, while the thing is moving, so mm-hmm. this was with VM mobility in the cloud and stuff. Yeah. But the whole, the idea of location ID separation—if you come up with a protocol to do it efficiently—is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's something that's that's valuable,
3: and it's. Well, oh, so you had mobile mobile IPv6.
0: <laughs> same, yeah. Re, yeah, yeah, same argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not go so, there. I mean, let's not go to. <laughs>
2: Well, to be fair, I think Lisp is a little a little more elegant in terms, yeah. of, the, in terms of the solution. Like, uh, Yeah, yeah, you, in you terms of distribution. Well, certainly you from you a scale the, standpoint. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you look at all that goes yeah. into as and go to, goes out as of, of mobile ipv 6 and it's like,
3: oh my goodness. Yeah. I, me, I heard yeah. you like extension headers. So I put extension headers in your extension <laughs> to make mobility work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you guys are made it a great point is in- um, IPv6, in my mind, is a fantastic protocol. It, a lot of things were, were really thought out. Some things are kind of iffy, like fragmentation, I think, is I, I liked the way they handled it in V4 better. Yes. But it's how stuff is implemented. And I'm going to just – I know we're talking about v6, but I just want to take multicast as, 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 as near and dear to my heart. I think that replication in the network is better than a replication on an individual box making multiple copies of something. But it was the protocol – that, that was designed to make use of that, like PIM. I think PIM was awful. And I mean, you can talk about, you know, v6 mobility, um, how it's implemented. You know, you have the stack that's great, but what you decide, to the code you write or how you're making use of it, that cannot, you know, that can be the thing that's, that's problematic. But the protocol itself, I think, is, I believe, personally, is solid. hmm and, and I, you know I started I started not liking I was a big four. I, I was definitely a v four person because I went from um s n a and d l s w me I went from the other protocols to, to v four it was like, oh, this is beautiful. I love this. Um, but now it's the same thing now as I look from v four to v six and at first, I'm scared because hex um, that's all I'm gonna say um. But then once you, once you spend time with it, and it's like anything, once you spend time with it, V6 now just doesn't seem complicated to me. It's just like BGP. It, you know, everybody was like, BGP is this big scary thing on the internet. And then it's like, well, no, it really isn't. It's just something I haven't done before and I'm not familiar with. And, you know, V6 is really almost super easy when you can completely ignore the last 64 bits and you kind of ignore the first 32 you know or, or yeah 32 bits if you get a slash let's say you get a slash 32 you ignore those so you have this one little segment of addresses that you're submitting with it's not the whole you're not looking at 128 bits so you're it's apex I, I like digits yeah. yeah
2: yeah and then if you yeah, stick to it, the nibble boundary on top of that it's it's yes, actually yes. incredibly manageable yeah
0: yeah. Well, well I mean it's by that I mean incredibly
2: manageable to the point where you quickly run out of nibbles. <laughs> 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 that's,
0: that's another show. Um, but um I Justine, let's let's talk about that transition because it, it was funny when, when you were presenting and, and talking about sort of, you know, V6 and V6 only and then that transition. I think there's a place for V6 only networks within what people are going to build today because it addresses a bunch of concerns. And I think, I think that's where things are going. But I think like you, we're pragmatists and we look at it and say like, there's portions of the network you may build V6 only. There's other parts that are going to remain V4. You're going to have a part of your network that's going to run both. And you're going to need to provide translation services where they're appropriate on the application stack, but you need to make those decisions as as discrete decisions. Like you actually understand what's happening there. I think the great fallacy that happened was, oh no, you can just port over, everything's going to work. Um, and 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 V six just is is not in the same space in terms of of, of making that a possibility, unless at least you know in terms of what's available today and v6 only is going to take a long time for folks to to work out all the bugs uh and to and to figure out all the things that are going on i mean you you folks did, have done a bunch of testing around that just to, to sort of figure out where things are and some of the early things that you know when veronica mccullough was still with microsoft was explaining at one of the um one of the north american v6 events was saying like hey Really hard to get VPN to work when the, the VPN endpoint that you're trying to connect yes. to is v4 only, and you're on a v6 only network. That's just not going to work. You're never going to get past that.
1: <laughs> that's right. a,
0: you can't ever move past it. So, is that part of what's informed your thinking around around where things are at and where things should be, and how enterprises should think about this in terms of adoption? Because there, there's got to be a pragmatic like let's let's solve 80, 90% of the issues, right?
1: Yes. So the VPN is one of them. Another big one is, and I um I was just reading some stuff on the IEEE um about, you know, how they're trying to get like backnet and you know some of these, and I'm gonna call them, they're not IoT devices. They're they're network of things. They're NOT devices. They're devices that got IPv4. They were your you know, security cameras. We have conference room, um little schedules outside of the conference room. There's different technologies that we started managing via IPv4, but it's it, it, their IPv4 stack on these devices is minimal, and they know nothing about networking, and it's going to take a while to get them to go to IPv6. If ever, so network of things exactly, if ever, if they're going to spend the time to do it. So, so we we started terming these things network of things that we know we have in the network that they don't want to spend, and, and some of these things maybe were even layer two only. That um, and and there's you know. Tunneling with this of security, there's IPsec tunneled, and this is just from the application back to a central node. Uh, so that, that kind of stuff we're just not touching. There's things that manage the yeah. Sonnet network that started using IPv4, and, and all the work they do just to you know do the network, um, the, the Sonnet itself, there, there's so much time and effort going into that, that just this mm-hmm. little small stack that's before it was fine for them.
3: Yeah, hospitals, so, manufacturing, yeah. industrial networks all have these same things.
1: Yeah, so so I, we have N O T, which I, again I call networking things. They don't need internet access. They never will go on the internet. Um, so these the yeah, and they're only you know keeping within their own little private network. So I think those things are going to be before you're absolutely right. VPN was another um, um, thing that came up. I, I was surprised though in a lot of that testing, a lot of the apps that people you know banking apps and all that kind of stuff that worked really well on. V6 only.
0: Yeah, so it's because they provided, uh, you know, quad, quad yes. a records and, and provided a, a, an actual endpoint for them to go connect to, and
1: or it was your a mobile phone that did the you know four six four x lat or something. What you know, whatever right. was allowing the whatever was allowing it to connect. And I don't know in each single single app what that was if it was direct V6 or translated, but a lot of stuff worked surprisingly. I mean, it's it's you know that was a good that was a good sign.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then,
1: more, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, no. Well, and I think that was part of in conjunction with with your guys' effort around, you know, World IPv6 day and then and then launch too, right? Was 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 working with everyone to make sure that services were actually up and available. I mean, Tom was working on the same initiative when he was at Limelight. So I think I think that's the I think that's the common goal, right? Is getting the community around to say, like these are the these are the core set of services that need get stood up. And, you know. It's, it's, so it's 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 good to hear that, and it's good to to know that that was your guys' experience around it. I just think you you guys had a bunch of unique learnings that you sort of took away from from V six. I mean, what's is there anything in terms of you know sort of experience you know you guys were early on so the experience with the manufacturers i imagine you guys were working a lot more direct with with a bunch of the manufacturers around saying like hey this is missing or we need this sort of support or you know you're missing this routing protocol capability or 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 other things that you guys had uh running around your guys's network that maybe other people weren't seeing because you were so early on right
1: Um, yeah we we worked a lot with cisco so i mean we at the time were a cisco shop we have other mm -hmm. vendors now i think i can say that but Mm -hmm. um and we worked really well with them because they were also on board with IPv6. You, you know what I mean? The vendor has to be as well. Right. And I'm, I'm going to make some comments and these are just my opinions. But I think, you know, when, the, when cloud started and we started having, you know, um, wanting to build the cloud with commodity hardware or white boxes, just having a simple IPv4 stack that everybody was familiar with was, was what people wanted to do. And the right. ASIC, we've talked about this and, and you know, um, the, 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 Technical costs in hardware or software to enable IPv6—they they couldn't justify it, um, or didn't justify it. So they 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 went down one path. And, yeah. and part You're of cool that, with what you know, they really weren't in. You know, they—I I, feel like there was this the split when cloud happened. And I think I, I read something that Azure started like in 2008. But when the cloud, when they started doing, it, you know, people started building their clouds. Um, it seemed like IPv6, you know, took a took a left turn, or they took a left turn on IPv6, and just there was just a big, um, you know, deploying everything with v4. There was kind of like blinders for IPv6 were put on, and that was vendors making those decisions.
0: Yeah, I think it was it was put off to the side because the opportunity for sale of yes. what you produce, you don't get an opportunity for sale with v6, but you do when. When a large cloud manufacturer walks in and says, "I want to buy, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of Ethernet ports to stand up a, you know, massive data center," and you know, suddenly your your motivations change very quickly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. and it, it, it feels, you know, and I'm gonna, you know, these are in air quotes that you can't see, but you know, cheaper to do a, a v4 underlay. And six on your well, it's
0: not even just yeah. a cheaper thing. it's it's what works today thing, exactly. right like we yeah. we we don't know for v six. So do you want to yeah. roll with something we don't necessarily know? And this was all a timing thing around when it was coming right. out. Yeah. Uh, I, I think today really you can, point. yeah, I think today you could clearly build something, you know, v six only, and that's proven out. I mean, it's proven out with LinkedIn. It's proven out with you know with facebook and and others. So I don't think it's it's a question about whether you can build it or not. I think it's a question of, do you have operational expertise to be able to do that and are you innovative enough as a company to be able to do that those are different issues than than what you guys were facing back then and 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 you guys were a big pusher even on the azure team because msit was is a huge customer of of azure themselves right so yes so you know that need requirement around v6 is 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 one of the things maybe that's an interesting thing i don't know how much you could talk about that but you know maybe that's an interesting aspect around what you guys were up to too
1: yeah, so one of the things we are, and this is a good segue into this, is is that we do want to, you know, the initiatives that we've had in the enterprise is to move to the cloud. So the two initiatives we've had is move to the cloud and move to IPv6. Unfortunately, the move to the cloud meant um, for um, hybrid networking or, you know, private um, connectivity, that v6 wasn't there. So this year, um, last year, actually on April 1st, last year, true story, April Fool's Day, um vnets got full ipv6 support eric lances was the pm on that um and i can mention his name because you see him in a lot of documentation on on dual stack vnets but um yeah april, april 1st of 2020 is when it, we, they went public preview with it because they just had to work out some bugs and that's everything within a vnet udrs nsgs all that um, yeah. So yeah,
0: Eric got that done and then decided it was time to retire.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't blame him. Trust me. I don't blame him. Um, so, so the challenge now is, and again, back to the vendor, you know, where you had Cisco as a vendor, and, you, you, you know, they were your first hop. So you went, needed all this feature support from them, and they were the ones that were going to go to, you know, they were your central point of contact for centralized features. And they would go off to the individual product groups within Cisco and get V6 enabled for you. Now what we have is um, it's you know what I, I'm going to almost say it's like decentralized. So it's the cloud providers that are you know writing the stuff in software. So software defined networking, all these different components are potentially a different group. So we have ExpressRoute is what we use to connect um, on-prem to the cloud, and that currently is in um, development for to enable IPv6. So you know today I, even if I did a dual stack VNet, I can't get to it from my private network. I can get to it from the internet. So I need the ExpressRoute enabled. Um, We have some um, implementations of uh, VNets and I think AWS calls it BPC, we call ours VNets. We have some implementations that are uh, relying on Azure native firewall. And Azure native firewall today doesn't have IPv6 support. So I end up in this to get end to end of all the features. And if you look on anybody's, any cloud providers, network, services page of all the services they support you know different gateways or just a lot of functionality it's getting all of that if you enable those you know between your host on-prem you know through that infrastructure to your vm or container object or whatever that is you need v6 to be enabled and that's the challenge that we we have now but there is once the express route and i believe it's going to be this year um then we'll see more um uh, more dual stack enabled devices in the data center be able to go up into the cloud. Right.
0: Yeah, because that's that's its own challenge, especially especially for you guys because of the cycle. It's MSIT was early on on v6, which meant you had a lot of dual stack um, uh, throughout throughout the corporate side of MSIT. You can, you can correct me at any, at any point I get this wrong, but but to move to cloud required that you had to move back and be like single stack back on v4 only, and so it's it like, hey, exactly. how how important is this to us as an organization? That decision has to be made by every single one of those teams and operators like, no, no, I, I've been told, you know, whatever. My bonus is I got to get this running in the cloud. I don't care about V6. I care about my bonus. Right. <laughs> so so, my app's going to run in, in Azure as one of the early apps because, you know, that's what my motivations are. So it's it's really interesting that your culture and and how you guys work, it, it's, it's going to vary group by group and, and organization by organization about what's important to them, right?
1: Exactly, and I mean that you know. In, in fairness, everybody wants everything. You, you know, when, when I talk to the product groups, they want to do V six. You know, they want to have that line item, but they've got you know ten other line items that are priority that customers are asking for. And something right. I wanted to mention, uh, like when you talked about LinkedIn or um, Facebook, is they're not customer. They're not cloud providers. They may run in the cloud. They may they're they're a new um, again. Azure started the cloud in two thousand eight. Um, and there's some legacy stuff that's a part of that. There's some legacy stuff in the, in the, what I'm gonna call the cloud stack. But it's different, you know, hosting a service that you have almost control over all of it versus ho- hosting um, just compute storage for a yeah. customer.
0: Yep. No, I so get
1: it's it. The AWS has the same thing, and so does Google. You know, any cloud provider, Oracle, it just, um, you know, getting that end to end IPv6 support is more challenging.
0: Yeah, because you don't you don't own every aspect of what's right. going on within within the architecture. LinkedIn right. owns all their servers. They own all. They own the application. They know exactly what they want that service to provide because it's effectively a SaaS service, which is the same as Facebook Facebook right. fundamentally provides SaaS services, whether that's Instagram or whether that's Facebook itself or whether that's WhatsApp. They're all services that they own end-to-end. They, in fact, they own, the in many cases, like with WhatsApp, they own the client all the way on the, on the end device itself. So they, can get, they, can, they have a much better, tighter controls over how they want to deal with that and how they want to adopt a set of technologies to make that stuff happen. So, I, yeah, it's a good point in terms of that, which is probably why you're more pragmatic around, around V6 now and saying, like, look, V4 is going to be around for a long time. You need to be able to deal with both. But if you're ignoring V6, I think you're doing a detriment in terms of... Oh.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know something interesting I do, I go to the IEEE because Microsoft has an account as a as a as a um, corporation and I'll go on the IEEE just every now and then and and say, you know, give me all of your documentation or you know, and this is this is presentations, it's research, it's books, it's whatever's going on in the IEEE. And I'll I'll you know filter on IPv4 between 2011 and 2021 and IPv6 between 2011 and 2021. And I mean, the numbers are so totally different. There's a lot more going on Uh, and that's kind of just a, um, you know, a hacky way to see what Mm -hmm. the industry is doing. But I think it's valuable that there is just not a lot of research. People are not spending time, um, doing any innovation on IPv4. So that's that, you know, if you're, if you're future thinking, um, um, just looking at those kind of things, what are, the, what are the research institutions doing? Who's doing what? One quick thing I wanted to ask you that I'm very curious about when you talk to your customers is because I had left Microsoft for a while and was at another company. And one of the things that, and, and they were serious about this, is that they felt that, that you could still do more with IPv4. And one of those was, you know, IPv6 or, or I'm sorry, IPfix, where you used IPv4 options headers. <laughs> and add more address space on that was one that mm-hmm. I mean, there are people that very seriously believe this or name data networking mm-hmm. as, and to get rid of using ip addresses at all and just use names yeah. have you guys had any customers you know bring that up to you because i had never i mean it was to me it was v4 or, or v6 there was never you know i hadn't really heard of name data networking i hadn't heard of rena I hadn't heard of IP 6 So I started kind of going and researching these things, but That's I just cool. don't see them as and maybe V6, you know, isn't the best solution. There's still people that think C um was better than IPv4. But <laughs> V six is what got adopted. It's it's where we are, it's where you're seeing, you know, work. And oh,
0: I'll let
3: Scott tackle yeah. this one. He's yeah. got some strong thoughts on <laughs> that. Yeah. So I guess my thoughts are, I mean. I got a, I got a master's degree and ATM helped me get that master's degree. So I'm thankful for the protocol for that regard. And I think maybe some of these protocols may be good if you wanted to get there. They're a way to get a, a master's degree or a PhD and a, and get a diploma. That's probably good. It's research. But each of these protocols is going to is up against the same thing IPv6 has been chipping away at for 15, 20 years now, you would have to get that protocol implemented in all the host OSs. It'd have to be implemented in all the servers. It'd have to be implemented by all the service providers. It'd have to be uh, integrated into, you know, the content providers. It would suffer that same logjam that IPv6 has just gone through for 15 years. You'd be starting over with the logjam. Why something new? Uh, Maybe there are advantages to these others, but is it worth you you have to wait, you'd have to wait 15 years for those protocols to mature and go through all of the stuff that IPv6 has been going through in maturing and solidifying and getting out there integrated in every host OS. Integr- you know, IPv6 deployed in a huge portion of the internet. IPv6 deployed by, you know, all the major, you know, internet service providers. It's, and it's the de facto protocol. So each of those protocols, yeah, they might have their advantages. You know, I like or the interesting I always hope that the future bits, right? I always hope that the future after IPv6 doesn't look like IP, you know, where there's a separate a separate naming database that's separate from the addressing structure. I mean, I like the idea of this future idea of naming things regardless of where they are in the topology. You know, that there's some elegance there and I could see some benefits. To the way we think about services and hosts and clients and security but each of those protocols good. 15 years out
1: yeah well, exactly. and that's trying to get everybody to agree and mm-hmm. we have so much more i mean there is so much stuff on the internet now compared to what ipv4 and when ipv4 started and before even the internet started and people were mm-hmm. working together and you know you had the ietf i think there's more competition i mean i I personally feel like IPv6 being treated like a feature is yes. its not a feature for one. And, and then people doing that, there is, it's like this competitive thing. It's like, well, we support IPv6. It's like, well, you should, you know, it's not, I'm not going to give you kudos or credit. Um, you know, you're not, you're not better. Everybody should just be doing that. Um, right. That's table. It that should be a known requirement.
0: Yeah. Table stakes. I, th- I think the other part that's interesting to Scott's point is, is really when you look at what, these other protocols can provide you know v4 went has gone through tremendous optimization within ASIC and silicon manufacturing we we've seen a portion of that being introduced for V6. It's not all the way there, but it is. But it is definitely there. But that industry is going through a transformation with you know with P4, with programmable chips, with everything else that's happening there. That might actually enable something like name data networking to be actually be useful because it, at wire speed, I just don't understand how you're going to move packets right in that space and be able to get the performance and 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 the route forwarding attributes uh, done in the same way that we do today with with V4 and with V6. And so um I think there's some hurdles that the industry has to to overcome around that. And I think to be honest, with you know, with with it fix, it's the same issue, right? It's it's just the fact that you're gonna have to reprogram a bunch of ASICs in order to take advantage of any of that, you're back to the same problem. Like why are we gonna limit ourselves yet again to do another ASIC fix just to you know, to Scott's point, we're back at the beginning again. Mm-hmm requiring everyone to do that as an uplift and all the old ASICs that are already out there that are already forwarding packets, aren't going to attribute or, or or catch up to speed suddenly for that sort of stuff. They're stuck where they're stuck. Um, And and until they get replaced. Right. And this is, this is the journey that we've been going through and V6 has been patiently waiting its line in the queue. Right. As things get replaced through the network to make that happen. Mm -hmm. I just don't see that replacement vector and the speed, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to replace out infrastructure in that way that's core to the backbone of the internet, that's core on every single enterprise network, that's core at all of our homes and all of our, you know, all of our CPEs and all the service providers run. I just don't see that happening, but we could be incredibly wrong. Like, you know, we're not futurists. So. Yeah. (laughs) Those protocols may start in a walled garden or
3: some isolated data center environment and have some compelling, you know, business case for using them, but. They're not going to run on the internet. The internet is a massive scale and requires global cooperation. Right, that's not easy to come
0: by. Yeah, I would hundred percent agree. It's just it's just like BGP has been the de facto, you know, for for so long, and everything gets stuffed. We joke everything gets stuffed into BGP, but there's a reason why, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and and I think I think it it fits in the same vein.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I just bring this up because. Um, you know, if anybody asks me, it's, it's V6 is is all there is. This is what you're gonna to go to from before. There is these, you know, the other things you're reading about or hearing about, they're not here. And for anybody that, and definitely anybody in the enterprise, you know, maybe mobile does some interesting stuff or IoT does some, some interesting stuff, but V6 is, they're not gonna do anything more with V4. They're yeah. not gonna expand it. They're not gonna, no, no matter how many people write, whatever RFCs or papers are gonna write, V6 is, the only way forward.
3: Yeah, there's and and corporate enterprises are in this mode. They're like, oh, I still am gonna ride it out with my three G flip phone, clamshell phone for a while. I'm gonna skip over four G and I'm gonna go to five G. Well, those enterprises with their little V four legacy, you know, uh, quad dotted decimal addressing systems, they can't wait out V six to go to V seven. <laughs> there There's is nothing, nothing else. There's no yes. other option. It's an inevitability. It's an eventuality. You might as well just get with the program and get on. All right, on with all right it. Thanos.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: There's no
0: other option. There's
1: no option. Absolutely. You're absolutely right.
0: Is there any quick you know, one, two items that you want to share that the, with, with folks? I mean, we obviously covered like, hey, V6 is it, but is there any other one or two items in regards to V6 that the audience, you, you think they should have as a takeaway, you know, quick items or like, hey, this is definitely something you should do or not?
1: Um, well, one is absolutely it's something that you should do. And, you know, you should have already been planning for. Because um, um, one, one, one of the things that I think um, Scott put in there is what the culture challenges are. And again, the culture challenges really are that people are afraid, and this is always what I hear. And this is even with some networking people; they're so used to B four, they've done it so long, they you know can do wire check. They just it's 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 what they've known, and B six just looks scary. And I think the thing is getting over that is, is the one piece of it. The second thing is looking at it as a new protocol, try to just put B four aside. And just look at this as something new. I mean, I think it's much easier to do a comparison. If you don't know before, then you're really in trouble to try to do a, a, a v six comparison. But I just think that um, fear is the one thing, and it's it's how v six advocates can go into an organization and try to um, alleviate that. So if you alleviate the fear and let people start to play with it, there's no you know right or wrong. But I, I think v six, the biggest d- barrier is, um, Fear and fear of lack of understanding. Um, and you, I, again, like I said before, you have devs that all they've ever known is before. Right. So, and all they've ever known is address conservation. So, you know, breaking that, but I think the biggest piece of it, and, and what I found is the people that I got excited about v6, if I could somehow turn them into getting them as excited as me, then they were on board and we can make it happen. If they feel like it's being, you know, forced on them or crammed down their throats, that's much harder. And the other piece of this is that, is that the, the people that want to go to IPv6 in the, in, the, in the enterprise in any industry are the people that are managing IPv4 address space, that are managing policy and filters to allow them to do overlap. They're trying to manage NAT tables. There's people managing the infrastructure, the IP infrastructure that absolutely want to go to v6 because it's gotten complicated to try to maintain v4, especially for private space um, in the enterprise. And then yeah. the crazy stuff of people using other people's space and trying to make absolutely sure that doesn't get leaked out or it doesn't show up in a log. six <laughs> And it's not that you're writing it on the internet, but there's some data or some log piece that references that mm-hmm. and it's exposed that you're using it. Right. So I guess, yeah, my biggest one would be um, that piece of it is managing before is getting so complicated, the lack of address space, not, that it's not worth trying to do reuse and stopping address collision from happening. Is um, and as you you're talking as you add more devices to the network, and as you're starting to do containerization and all that, if it's still going to be on prem, it's 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 going to be continuing before is going to be unmanageable.
0: Well, unlike v6, we've run out of space for this podcast. Thanks to today's <laughs> guest, Justine Beck. Uh, how can the audience follow you on the internet?
1: I need to update my LinkedIn. I guess I can even say this on the podcast. I'll be retiring. Um, from Microsoft. I'll still be involved in V6, but I do have a LinkedIn account and I will add that.
0: Perfect. Well, you can reach the IPv6Buzz podcast uh, on Twitter at IPv6Buzz. You can hit up each one of us on Twitter too. You can head up Tom at, at IPv6Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue. And I'm at eHorley. Thanks for listening to the IPv6Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6Buzz. If you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And hopefully you're listening on Spotify or any of your other podcast apps. Uh, and uh, if you really like this podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking Day Two Cloud and Network Break podcasts. Or even if you don't like this podcast, we still recommend you check those out. <laughs> and you can you can hit uh, you can hit up uh, PacketPushers.net for all that all that good content over there. So long, and until next time, we'll see you on the internet, the IPv6 internet. That is.
3: Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space.
1: IPv6